Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. What is that? That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. That's, yeah, they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. I want to walk up. I'm a little bit of an idealist, but having said that, I want to be like me. But you don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I managed to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, and I'll say it to you now. Come down to Anfield, and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you Johnny man? Well, that was a fairly dramatic way to finish off the footballing summer. England are European champions. Erling Haaland, it turns out, can't finish his dinner. And Darwin Nunes proves that he's not a complete fraud after all. Hey everyone, welcome to Monday Second Gavin's Football Podcast. Hey Ken. Oh, and how are you? I was trolling you with that Darwin Nunes one, Ken. I know you feel yeah. there was a... Yeah, there was a somewhat hysterical reaction to his performance. Uh, fraud, watch. His, fraud watch. Fraud watch. Yeah, no, they swapped they swap places in the, in the fraud seat. And now it's... Haaland's the fraud. Big Erling. Yeah. yeah. Murph, how are you? Hey, Owen, how's it going? Well, I'm, how is it going? I mean, the football keeps on coming. That's the question just, I asked you, Owen. We're just four days out from the start of the new Premier League season. If you want all the best coverage, you know you need to be a World Service member on secondcaptains.com. And it's the first of the month today as well. It's always the best time to sign up. So have a think about doing that. Obviously, all you members listening will be, will be well aware of all the coverage coming your way. Amazing scenes at Wembley all last night. 17.4 million viewers tuning in on the BBC as England beat Germany in extra time to win Euro 2022. And they celebrated accordingly. Celebrations had carried right through to their manager's press conference. Yep, that's the England players invading the presser. Some of them climbing up onto the tables and so on. <laughs> you can't begrudge them, can you? I mean, obviously, when no. you hear people singing that tune as an Irish listener, maybe it feels like you you recoil somewhat. But come on, they're a likable team. They played great football. They've probably changed the way a lot of people view women's football. We can all withstand a few bars of footballs coming home. Come on, people. Uh, Richie Sadler has finished his stint on the RT panel throughout the Euros. He's going to be on to talk about England's win and the impact of the tournament more generally. And that, Ken, is where you're beginning today's Report on Sport. Well, the impact on the, t- the tournament seemed to have, uh, the final, I should say, seemed to have less of a um, uh, uh, a mayhem footprint, let's mm. say. A, car- a carnival atmosphere, <laughs> I would have gone for there, Ken. Well, yeah, carnival. I mean, people, you know, the word carnival means different things to different people. Um 
Certainly, uh, Dominic King in the Daily Mail was impressed at the, the good spirit uh, surrounding the game. And uh, he permitted himself a, a little stroll down memory lane to last summer. Uh, when history presented itself in 2021, the event was wrecked. Nobody who attended England's clash with Italy will forget the Neanderthal and xenophobic chanting on the tube or the disgrace that was Wembley Way. Full cans of beer were thrown at full force from one side of the sea of humanity to the other. Cocaine was openly taken. Fences were used as urinals and the police stood by, powerless. Unable to make a difference. Worse would follow when thousands of ticketless yobs forced their way into the stadium, squeezing like rats through any opening they could find. More infiltrated the area where the England players' families were supposed to be sitting and caused mayhem. Leaving Wembley, the smell of stale beer was putrid and the scrunch of broken glass underfoot was sickening. Why should England ever host an occasion like this when people can't be trusted to behave? Squeezing like rats was a good one. Yobs is a great word. I, you do, yobs. You, there's, yobs. Just not enough, there's just not enough <laughs> usage of the word yobs. The yobs and their parents. Anyway, it was completely different. Uh, it was completely... Sunday was a day to restore faith. Faith this tournament has been an outstanding success. This was an occasion that proved inspirational and created memories to last a lifetime. Uh, Hannah Duncan, 34, a teacher from Tetbury, Gloucestershire, was on her first visit to Wembley. She captured the atmosphere when she said, it feels like a moment in time. You look around and see lots of kids. The atmosphere is brilliant. Little kids can come and know their parents and their parents know there is no danger of them seeing things they should not see in terms of trouble. It feels like the Olympics. So, uh, yeah, completely different um, in terms of uh, carnage and aggression. Uh, but, uh, you know, it's still um, the biggest TV audience, I think, of the year. Yeah, there was the figure I put out. The biggest one on BBC this year. Yeah, there's also the six million viewers, uh, six million people streaming, or five point nine million people. On top of that, it was also pointed out that the attendance is right up there with the biggest attendances this year. Where is this one? Colin Miller from the Mirror, eighty-seven thousand one hundred ninety-two. Third biggest attendance in European football this year. The top two uh, in that one being held by Barcelona women's team again against Real Madrid and Wolfsburg. So it's yeah, it's all, it was also, um, I saw Phil McNulty of the BBC saying that this was an all-time record for a UEFA tournament. The crowd of 87,192 is the biggest crowd that's ever been at a European Championship game. UEFA, I'm assuming when he says UEFA tournaments, does that include the Champions League as well? I'm not sure if it's just international. But anyway, it is bigger than, uh, it's the biggest European Championships uh, crowd of all time. So... Yeah, it turned out to be a um, uh, a big success. I have to say, I thought and it would have been it would have really yeah. spoiled everything, wouldn't it, if they'd enforced the rules and given Germany a penalty for that handball? Ah. Like, <laughs> I would, it would have spoiled it would have spoiled the whole thing if they. Yeah. No one needs to see that sort of thing, you know. Germany it would have been a real penalty. Would have left a bitter taste in the mouth. I, you know? I, I have to say, I did think in the commentary box, I felt ooh, the, in the BBC commentary box, you might be starting the victory speech a little bit early they were talking about how you know for with about oof, probably including injury time there's probably still five minutes of football to be played and they were talking about the uh you know how far english women's football has come and how proud they are and and, and all the barriers being broken down and the likability of these teams all, all of which i agreed with I was, I was all like this is great but oh this is also this no, this is really setting yourself up for a fall if there's an equalizer but as it happened england absolutely squeezed germany and germany barely got a seemed to barely get a kick of the ball after conceding i think the fight might have been knocked out of them when they conceded that goal in 
extra time. So there it was, was no problem. Some, it was some of the best, um, some of the best uh, corner uh, ball shielding uh, time wasting that. Uh, yeah, it was uh, certainly. Uh, you ever going to give any England national seminar. team their full due again? No, um, says Ken. Well, I, I just I, don't, I, I, I reserve don't the, I, mean, I reserve the right. Not to I just feel I just feel as though the penalty incident is is a really it's a confusing moment for me. You know, I'm 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 looking at that and I'm thinking, what you know, what have I just seen here? Again, it's one of those where VAR just creates a, a, a it just puts the whole thing in a, in a slightly darker, you know, light. You know, I mean, it's 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 always easy to. Um, you know, I saw whenever Germany are complaining about a handball, there's always some Americans saying, oh, yeah, Germany complaining about a handball because they still haven't forgotten Torsten Frings in 2002. And um, Torsten Frings is handball on the line against the, the U.S. in the quarter, World Cup quarterfinal. Um, but, of course, there was no VAR then. No. There was some funny refereeing in that tournament as well. Uh, South Korea, the beneficiaries on many occasions. Anyway, on, um, I can't believe that I've started complaining about the South Korean refereeing. Oh, well, Richie is going to give England their, their due praise. Don't you worry about that. He's on the way shortly. What else is happening? Well, uh, what else is going on? Obviously, there was a few um, few sort of season opening matches around. I don't know if you saw Owen Paris Saint-Germain's uh, season opener, a 4-0 win. No, go on. Um, Get on. Messi scored a brilliant goal. Um, well, when I say a brilliant goal, uh, uh, it's not like it's in his, in his top 100 goals, but it was a um, a great finish. Um, where you know where he just he just sort of took it around the goalkeeper and finished it with his right foot from a narrow angle. And I thought to myself, "Wow, that was really good." He can still do this. The World Cup is now only. Five six months, you know what I mean. Like, I remember when the last World Cup. Remember what a, an absolute meltdown that was for him on a, on a sort of personal level. Um, you know, playing for this awful Argentina team, uh, unable to really influence the outcomes. Uh, scored I mean, one scored, amazing goal. He scored goal. one great goal yeah. against against Nigeria, but you knew that they they just weren't good enough, and he was like feeling so much pressure and was kind of you know, rubbing his face and was completely, had turned completely white during the anthems and all this kind of stuff. Um, because you sort of felt like, well, he, you know, this is his last chance at this, you know, to do this. Um, what what kind of condition is he going to be in for Qatar? At the moment, the signs are pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's actually only three and a half months away. I think you were, you were speculating that it was five or six months away, Ken. It's a lot it's, sooner no, than it's, that. Yeah, it's three months. It's, it's, it's in November, right? It's mid, mid-November mm, kickoff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, he looked good. Uh, Neymar uh, scored two goals, uh, including his, his typical uh, free kick that he likes to score. Also looked good. And Sergio Ramos was playing and scored a goal, um, which was, I mean, Sergio Ramos is not going to be in the World Cup. Um, but it's just amazing to see him back on a on a football pitch and playing the same team as Lionel Messi. Anyway, yeah, that was that was France. Obviously, um, England's Community Shield uh, over the weekend as well. Uh, Liverpool beating Man City three one. Owen, so my first prediction of the season, uh, getting it wrong uh, to start off with. And City, you know, Liverpool looked much better. I think throughout almost the entire game, they they sort of looked. Uh, yeah, they they look well in control, um, and then obviously there was this this sort of uh, drama of the whole Nunez Holland thing. Holland started and do anything. I mean, you, you watching going, Holland is playing, isn't he? he you made, yeah, I saw a point you made in your piece today that 
Pep afterwards was asked about his miss, and the miss was unbelievable. Like, it's, oh, it was just—it's an open goal. It's a—it's a, it's a tap in. I would have scored yeah. it myself, Ken, as they yeah. say. But it, he missed it, and Pep didn't see him. Pep was like, "Yeah, well, he'll just score the next one. Why? You, what's the what's the big deal? You know." Uh, yeah. But the thing that Guardiola would have been more concerned about might have been his general play, which was somewhat underwhelming. Well, it, you know, I mean, he did—he did what he what he always does, which is to say. He rushes through the middle of the pitch, like, and tries to boot the ball into the goal. <laughs> like that's, that's he's got quite a simple style of play. You know, if you were, if you watch Haaland, it's like, how does he score all these goals? Um, he just sort of rushes into the middle and bangs it in. <laughs> like, what more can you say about it? Uh, and he tried to do this on a few occasions, but like, they weren't. It was as though they weren't. De Bruyne did once try to play the pass that he was looking for, and it was, it was the pass was cut out, and that was like, you know. That that was like a couple of inches away from being, you know, the kind of chance that Haaland is he's, is looking for. He's in on a one on one. That was they they were really close to making it happen on that one occasion. But lots of other times when he's sort of making these runs and no one is no one is playing the ball. You know what I mean? It's just like it's not. So so it's uh, like Guardiola when he's talked about it has said, you know, we're not going to adapt. You know, obviously he's he's going to adapt to us. You know what I mean? The idea that we that we were going to change the way we play, you know, to come to accommodate one player. I mean. Phew. You know, you obviously don't know anything, anything about what kind of team this is, um, but you know they're going to have to. You know, you know he he gives them this sort of direct option. I mean, it's not always they're not always going to be playing against a team like Liverpool, who are kind of inviting that. You know, with all the space that they're leaving leaving behind, um, and they're just not used to playing that type of ball because you know who who is really going to be running through. You know who, who's going to be doing what Haaland does. They didn't really have players doing that in the, for the last couple of seasons, so there is a little bit of ad- adaptation for them. Um, from his point of view, you know, like the the problem that he had, like he finished what was it, sixteen touches, I think, in the game, which you know that wasn't good. Like like Alvarez came on, Alvarez had fourteen in the in the time that he was on the pitch. He came on after nearly an hour of the game had been played. Nunez had eleven, I think, for Liverpool with a similar amount of time. Mm. So he was he was immediately able to to be more relevant to to his team. But like if you look at what what happened when Nunez came on, within 1 minute Robertson had played like a a, a pass through into space for him to chase. This was the one where he ran and uh I think was he called offside, but he, he was called offside. It was the penalty shout, but it was, he was called offside anyway, wasn't that it? Yeah, I think I think he was offside, but Ederson but it you know, it could have been a penalty, but the point was uh, or rather, it, 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 I think it would have been a penalty if it hadn't been offside, uh, which I which I guess it was. But the point is that immediately they played that, that they gave him a chance to to make this type of run, which is one of the things that, you know, and Haaland didn't really get that um, in the game, uh, in, in the game from City. So that's something that City are going to, you know, ha- to, to just to, to work out sort of his capabilities and how, they can uh, how they can sort of help him to look good, but I don't think Guardiola is going to like the idea that like he's when you're when you're kind of a, a man down like that in the sense of like Haaland wasn't really doing anything in the game. Um, he he sort of wasn't really participating it from from City's point of view. He's trying to figure out w- what it is to do. Like Guardiola's not going to you know, not going to put up with that for long. Mm-hmm. Like he can't he can't really. You know, he can't sort of carry that for for five games or whatever. Like, Haaland's got to kind of tune in very quickly, or he will end up watching uh, watching City play a lot from the bench. In the ah, first well, come on, he gave, he gave greed. Well, okay, he didn't. 
pick Grealish ultimately in the biggest games, but he gave Grealish a fair bit of game time last year, despite Grealish's troubles adapting. No, but 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 Grealish was was uh, was participating in the game. He was he wasn't really being Grealish. He wasn't sort of doing um, the you know the, the the things that made everybody go, "Wow, what a player this is for Aston Villa." Um, he was playing, but he 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 was getting on the ball and keeping the ball and being part of like City's controlling system. But Haaland really wasn't even doing that. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a, it's one game. It's a friendly. The, see, I don't think he's worried at all about the fact that <clears throat> Haaland missed a chance or that he had a, he had a chance in the first half because like he he's one hundred percent going to score these chances if he keeps getting them. He's going to score them. Mm-hmm. That's not in question. But the question is: Is having him in the team going to mean that City? are going to lose a little bit of the control that Guardiola is always seeking to establish in every game. I mean, that's literally what he's like, well, first of all, control the game. If we do that, we're going to win it. That's that's the way that he thinks about uh, football. He's, it's not a case of, well, you know, we've got this guy, you know, they score one, we'll score two. Uh, we've got this great striker, feed the goat, right? Mm. That's not <laughs> That's not his... That's not going to be the way he looks at it. But I think it is the way a lot of fans ultimately will well, look at it. Because first everyone five wants games, to see Haaland. Yeah, first five games are West Ham away, Bournemouth mm. at home, Newcastle away, Palace at home. <laughs> it sounds like he's... he's and Forest at home. He's got, he's, got a, he's got a couple of goals in his boots there, I think. He'll probably be up to 10 goals. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> He'll have 10 goals from like 27 touches in ten, in, in five matches. <laughs> and everyone will be like, well, how do we, you know, is this an 8 out of 10 start? Yeah. Say goal, goal a game is no longer the ratio we're looking for. A goal every like two touches. If you can get a goal every two touches in this league, you've got every chance, yeah. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and obviously Nunez came in and, and uh, I wasn't surprised that he didn't start the game, actually, just in view of everything that had been happening in preseason, you know, uh, and was able to come on against a, a team that had been, you know, obviously playing for an hour, was a bit tired, not fully fit, as as Klopp made the point. I mean, Klopp made the point after the game. I mean, he he's he's obviously been, been very annoyed about, about all this stuff that's happened. Like, you know, when I say all the stuff that's happened, I mean, literally just... Nunez being turned into a laughing stock on the basis of like missing several chances in preseason matches. <laughs> like it is Before also of, scoring a hat trick in. Well, he scored four. Four. <laughs> but it, but <laughs> I was talking to someone about that. They was like, "Yeah, but did you see the goals? <laughs> they weren't very good." <laughs> I've never seen four such scruffy goals, you know. So uh, so it, you know, it's it's tough sometimes to to, to get credit. Um, but Klopp's point was, and he, when I say that he was obviously annoyed, he 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 started talking about it without being asked about it. You know the way that that players are judged. Um, and he made the point that in this in this game, which he's still obviously a bit sore about, uh, uh, you know, when when he was kind of he said uh, we you know we're not fit today, but like a couple of weeks ago we were like we were basically just off the beach kind of thing. We were we were in we were in no fit state to play football. We brought him on, and the first three balls we played were ones for him to chase. So once he'd done that three times, he was completely wrecked, and then. We start then. Then people judge him on basically all the sloppy stuff that he does yeah. after that when he's kind of blowing and puffing his way around the pitch. This was Klopp's justification, uh, but I think it would be a big relief to them all that he scored a goal and was able to. You know, he, he he combined well with a couple of teammates. He obviously can give them different things. And his attitude, like the celebration was kind of crazy. <laughs> it's like, okay, we obviously the goal means a lot to you, but like really was like, yeah, you know, this was like a huge personal moment. Um, 
but it showed that that his response was not to be um not to be sort of inhibited or to be sort of oh, nervous but but to kind of give it everything to try and prove that no I'm not as much of a donkey as you all think I am yeah. so that was that was promising um but yeah so what else is going on uh, Ronaldo was playing oh Ray uh, he refers to himself as the king uh, to, uh, Sunday the king will play uh, well the king did play but uh, he only played for 45 minutes uh, against Ray Vallecano and then uh, was subbed off and then left the stadium. So it seems like things aren't really too, aren't really too good there. Um, I don't think we'd be seeing him in the in the opening Premier League games because Ten Hag was saying actually, well, he's you know he's he's way short of the condition he needs to be in. So yeah, there's still um, the question of we've quoted ad nauseum preseason, but we don't need to, to do no. where exactly he goes, how he how he gets out of there. And, yeah, no, uh, it's 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 a, it's a tricky one to to figure out. And there are there are obviously there are obviously a couple of transfer bits still happening, and there's quite a lot of transfer window left still to go. I mean, one of the things people are people are are wondering, Owen, is uh, you know, what are Newcastle United going to do? Like, uh, is is it, does there come a moment when Newcastle start to um, you know dominate the the market in the way that they've been sort of dominating the golf, the king kings of the golf? Um, and uh, well, they've uh, they've bid thirty five million for James Madison, which uh, Brendan Rogers says is about enough to cover uh, three quarters of his left leg. Ooh. I think he's a right footed player. You know? So, um, so it sounds as though um, it sounds as though that's not going to be enough. Certainly, if you're talking about. Uh, uh, Saudi Arabia's public investment fund, and you're thinking about Dustin Johnson getting 150 million dollars. You're thinking, yeah, you know, maybe um, maybe they should pay a little bit more for our best player. You know, if you're if you're uh, Leicester City, um, and I do, I, I have seen already a couple of kind of noises um, around Newcastle. It's like, oh, hang on a second, you know, are they actually even serious about this? Mm. What's happening here? You know, the, Newcastle have spent 150 million pounds since uh, the takeover. So that's um, it, just on, on players. So this year, including the January window, they've spent $150 million. Um, You know, the, the big signing, obviously, is Bruno Gomares, but they've brought in Sven Boltman, the uh, centre-back from Lille, uh, and Matt Target, the left-back from Aston Villa, and Nick Pope, uh, the goalkeeper from Burnley. They've all joined this summer, but, like, Boltman, Target, and Pope, this is, like... <laughs> We're not we're not getting back into the, we're not getting into the Champions League with signings like this. Um, so what's going on? And I'd say Newcastle supporters would be pretty happy about this, uh, you know, 150 million if it wasn't for the context of literally individual golfers getting paid more than that to join the golf tour, which is also owned by by Newcastle's owners. So um, I guess if they want to prove they're serious about it, I mean, they've set themselves a pretty high bar uh, by paying uh, Dustin Johnson. All the cash. <laughs> Watkins straight down the barrel she goes. Savita moving on her toes. Forces a one way. She's going to score it. Ireland in the semi final of the World Cup. The second lowest ranked team, the Green Army, celebrates one. What a fairy tale! And it continues. This is monumental. Pinder scored with a first shuttle. Pinder scores with a second! And Ireland are in 
They are the four sweetest words on the second captain's world service. How are you, Richie? How are you, lads? You well? I'm not I'm, too I'm, bad. I'm now. more relieved you? than anything. That's probably the biggest emotion at the moment. Uh, the morning after the end of the tournament, I remember I went big, which is not normally my style. I went big at the start of this tournament when we had a chat. And I said, there's absolutely no way that this France team can win. <laughs> and then if you remember France's <laughs> opening game, they were 5-0 up at half time. It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> so yeah. the high personal <laughs> point, then, you're, then I was at a point then when you're kind of locked in going, OK, now just for my own kind of credibility, I actually want this group to fail. <laughs> so I was pleased when yeah, they lost yeah. at the semi-final. No, you point. always need one team that you want to, to root against at a major tournament. How did you find it in general? Before we get into England's win, you enjoyed your time on it? I loved it. I really did. I think overall there was 31 games and there was probably only three or four that were kind of not great to watch in terms of entertainment, which is a pretty high percentage of games that were good to watch. Um, you always have this thing in the back of your head. You're trying to compare this to previous tournaments or trying to track the development of the, the game. And then all the measurable stuff like the, the TV audiences and the, and the quality of football and the, the entertainment value and the attendances and the prize money and everything it's it, it was a big jump from what's been there before but um i really really liked it it's great as well because like like there, there's so much so many of the players that we were seeing for the first time um and covering to this depth in rte that it's it's a nice break from covering the same players and the same teams in the champions league or whatever year on year this was this was great now that it's finally happened richie how should we feel about an england team an england national team winning a major championship they're a very, very likable group of players and a manager. I'd find it very hard to say anything um, critical about them or have any kind of whinge or any gripe about any of them, either their on-pitch performance or anything they said off-air. Like even yesterday, there was a moment where Beth Mead was standing on the pitch. She had her winner's medal around her neck. In her left hand, she had the Golden Boot Trophy. In her right hand, she had the Player of the Tournament Trophy. And she was being interviewed. And that's a lot of scope for somebody to really talk about themselves. Every question she was asked was about her. And she just really, in, in, in really sound, kind of humble, generous, grateful way, just, just how proud she was of her teammates. She said she had just gone over and hugged her mum. Her dad and her brother were in the crowd. And she was grateful and thankful for the support she'd received by everybody. Um, she didn't even try and put into words what it felt like to be that successful and to be on that pitch having achieved just what she had done. And so many of the comments from the players throughout the tournament were like that. And and even what was really kind of, I warmed to them even more, they, they didn't do any of the thing that you find so common among male players where they tone it down in front of the cameras mm. or they, you know, they go all Roy Keane and, you know, this is just our job or, you know, the... The, 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 there was nobody kind of griping at players here for enjoying wins or celebrating. There was kind of big circles and group hugs and dancing and singing on, on the pitch of every every game afterwards by the winning team. There was loads of interaction amongst the players and the staff and the supporters. And it was just so much, it was like a, so much celebrating and joy after every game from the team that won, which was which was great. And you can't really knock any player who, who can in the moment realise this is, you know, when you're an elite footballer, if you're an England international, you're playing in a home Euros, this is as good as life gets. So I'm going to enjoy it now rather yeah. than gripe my way through it and and 
try and stay under the radar and then afterwards then wish I enjoyed it more. They were great. And the football they, they played, they, they deserve to be in the final, certainly. The best two teams were in the final, which you don't always get at a tournament. In terms of grasping the occasion, I mean, you could see that with Chloe Kelly when she scored the winner and, you know, the top came off. Even after there was a bit of a pause because it was yes. a viewer check and then it's like, no, fuck it, I'm going for it anyway, you know. And off she goes. It was an amazing moment. But even after the match, she was being interviewed uh, and <laughs> the... So she starts doing the interview. I honestly think that the job of the England press officer after those games must be the hardest in world sport because they don't really want to be doing the interviews. They want to be celebrating with the team uh, as most sports people do in that moment. But they come over and do it and she, she starts doing it. Then she breaks off in the middle of it to start singing Sweet Caroline into the microphone, runs off, starts joining the team and then runs back to complete the interview after she had done that. So I think it, it ties in with... I think there's, there's also something here where as you say, we're just we're so familiar. We've built up a lot of feelings one way or the other about various, uh, you know, about various England teams, England men's teams over the years, and we're just basically not anywhere near as familiar with any of the the England women's players, to be honest about it. So there is a sort of, I guess, there's a novelty to it, which we, we can enjoy for now, Richie, until they go and win the World Cup, and we can start hating on them. Yes, like the the test will be in next summer's World Cup if they're looking like they're winning it again. I mean, okay, we've seen this before. I'm not sure how we like this. But anyway, this tournament on this occasion was great. But even like you're you're right, a lot of these players wouldn't be familiar to a lot of people who follow football a lot of the time. But even Chloe Kelly, like she, she did her ACL like last May. And she said in an interview leading up to this tournament that since she did the ACL, her only focus, her main focus throughout her rehab and her treatment was to get back and be involved and to be available for selection for the Euros. And she hadn't scored for England before. And this is her first goal. This is her first international goal on this stage with that importance. So it's kind of Hollywood stuff for her. But there were so many like stories like you become aware of, of the players, of what they've been through and overcoming injuries to get to the point that they're at. Um, like Leah Williamson, like when she went up to pick up the trophy, like first of all, she very graciously held it alongside Millie Bright. She wasn't one of these captains who said, no, this is my photo opportunity. I'm going to hold it. I'm going to stand out in front of all the players on my own. She took one side and Millie Bright took the other. And then they just kind of parted ways in what looked like a kind of rehearsed or, or kind of prearranged movement. And the two most senior players, Jill Scott and Ellen White, just emerged from the pack behind them. Bright and Williamson handed them the trophy. They've been there the longest of a huge amount of kind of caps and, and experience between them. And they were like, no, this this is your moment. So all of those things that you just think. That, and actually, that was the rarest thing because yeah, for people who didn't watch the tournament, England started all six games with the same 11 players. Now, that's so rare for, for a number of obvious reasons. First of all, you don't always get a coach who, if they had the choice, would start the same 11 games, particularly games that are so quickly after one another. But you almost never get a scenario where you can play that many games one after the other and nobody picks up an injury or a knock or picks up a COVID diagnosis or has a glaring loss of form or a howler on the pitch or has some kind of off the field or personal issue that you might have to remove them. And they played every game as the start, same starting eleven. The same kind of players were take brought off the bench and, and did really, really well. And it was an amazing thing that yesterday's scenes and so many of the interviews and so many of the post-match scenes of all the games, it was really clear how united and together and um uh, and just as one this whole England squad were. And that's that's not to be taken for granted in a team where in a squad where the team can feel like a closed shop, where no matter what you do in training, you know you're not going to play. 
no matter how much impact you make from the bench. And so many players made massive impacts in every single game. They didn't force their way in. So you can imagine in a scenario like that, which is not managed effectively, you can imagine how many knocks they're going to be on the coach's door or how many awkward conversations or kind of frosty exchanges or disillusioned players or, or, or stroppy players they're going to be. You'd certainly get that in loaded of the squads I would have been in over the years. And it was all managed. Like the manager managed to, to, to do that rarest of thing, which got them all to sign up at the very start on day one going, this is a collective, regardless of what your personal role is. This is something we're all going to achieve together. So park your personal stuff. So that was that was kind of remarkable in itself. I can't believe we got to this point, uh, Richie, without pointing out that the referee handed the game to England. <laughs> was that your feeling? I mean, is no one, is no one going to no mention this? Like... That that the uh, you know how, how okay how do you think the penalty wasn't given for that handball? I mean, what's the, I don't know what's the case for not for not. Giving I don't it? know. Like what's bizarre, the, the, right? There it's was really obviously weird. there was a, there was a scramble for a little while, and you could you could excuse the official for not seeing him immediately in game time in real time. But I remember they did see a left arm, and I remember straight away we we're like, can we get a replay of that? And then it, the word got to us, oh, there seems to be a VAR check, and we're like, okay, well this is it. Sh- surely now they're going to see in clear slow-mo from numerous angles, Leah Williamson's left arm hit the ball quite clearly. And really, really quickly, much quicker than many of the VAR decisions had been made throughout the tournament. And often we were waiting two and three minutes for decisions to be made. They came to the decision that it wasn't a penalty. And like we could make no sense of it. There was, there was one, I think at one point Lisa off air was going to say, I don't know, maybe did it hit her shoulder first and then hit her arm and did they, did they try and maybe factor in the first contact? Blah, blah, blah. And we were trying to make sense of it, but we couldn't. I mean, like, oh, again, that's, those were, there was a, one of the breaks, like I just mentioned there, like it's, a, it, it's, I suppose not just a break, it's a massive advantage when your first 11 remains available for selection for the entire tournament. But there's also, there's stuff you can't control which you need to go your way now England had home advantage they had the home crowd they had an extra day or two to rest in, in the latter stage games than their opponents and obviously they were playing at Wembley in the final so a lot of the environmental stuff situational stuff was in their favour but that decision was was huge and really really hard to understand how they came to it yeah and you mentioned how England have been picking the same team there was a huge moment before the game where Germany's star player really had to pull up Alexandra Pop uh, pulled up which was the kind of thing that is always hard for now Germany did recover from it to the extent that they ended up equalizing and taking the game into extra time so they they managed to get over the I guess some of the psychological effects that can happen when a big player has to leave the pitch but it certainly it had people thinking maybe this is England's day when Germany's best player uh, has to has to has to walk off before playing the before kicking the ball I should say that was massive and we weren't clear at the time what was happening because we did all our pre-match build-up which focused heavily on pop and what <laughs> she can do and what she's been through and the goals she scored so again she's one of these players we obviously people who follow the game would know her backstory she missed the euros in 2013 because of injury again in 17 because of injury had this euros been played last summer she'd have missed it because of injury she had injury issues all season she had a covid case before the tournament so she, she she somehow managed to be available for selection for this tournament for the first time and after an hour she came on in the first game and scored and that was like probably the moment of the the first round of games in the whole tournament because the emotional release that she 
came up with in a 4-0 win. Like, so the goal itself wasn't significant. And she kept her place because Leah Schuller, the, play, the player who was starting up front for Germany, got COVID after that game. And Pop kept her place every time, took back the captain armband, scored in every single game. So she woke up yesterday morning being one of the front runners for player of the tournament, level on goals at Bet Mead for the Golden Boot, and captaining the country that was about to play in the final. So her visualization yesterday morning would have been the scene that I just described five minutes ago that Bet Mead experienced winner's medal and a trophy in each hand based on the performance she gave as an individual. And then we saw the players kind of walk out and they took their their position for the lineups and no official word had been released by UEFA or the teams that had made its way to our set in RTE. And then we noticed that Pop was standing arm in arm with some of the physios or, and some of the subs. We're going, that's an unusual place mm. for the starting centre forward. To, to stand and then we kind of rooted through footage of the pre-match warm-up and at about I think 4.37 there was footage of um, Clara Bull actually who was one of the other first choice strikers who couldn't play because of a COVID case another break that England got so two of Germany's first choice front three were unavailable Um they were kind of hugging each other again you asked the question why is somebody who's missing because of COVID hugging somebody else but will we'll, gloss over that but for 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 pop Nody only to miss the game for any player that's devastating a game of that importance to have to pull out so late is devastating throw in her personal history and disappointments previously in this tournament added more kind of hurt and then the the cost of it so she didn't go on to win the golden boot or the player of the tournament and she left with a runners-up medal having played no role in the final so on a personal level you'd be absolutely distraught for her yeah it was really awful um but uh, but I wonder, Richie. I mean, obviously, uh, England's men's team have been trying to win a tournament for a long time. Uh, the women's team have shown them how to do it. Is there anything do you feel from what from what they did in this tournament that um, that the men's team could learn from and put to use in the World Cup in in December? I I, I think one of the really impressive things about the manager and I think Southgate does try to do this too is to kind of detach detach herself or, or rise above the, the the hype and the emotion and all the talk of kind of of history or the, the weight of history or the expectation or you know England's place in world football all that stuff and she very much like a Dublin GA bore over the last 10 years because it's all about the process it's the next game we you know you know we're not going to get too carried away it's just it's we, we know our task and we're going to go out and do it and that was the that was the tone that was how she pitched it and it was repeated by all the players they said the manager she kind of has taken the emotion out of it Nothing is personal. We're given instructions and she's kind of sparing with her words, but we're very clear. It's it, it, it's it, there's a focus to everything she says. Um, and that seemed to work really, really well. So the, the managerial style was really well. The players enjoyed it. Um, I don't know if it's if it's if we're compla- comparing like for like in, in some degree, because I think the experience of being in the men's England team at major tournaments is different. Um, there's a, there's a, you know, there's a hostility in the crowd. There's, there's, there's a, there's a media, which is, is kind of sharpening its knives all the time. And, and there's a, there's a scrutiny and expectation and a viciousness this that, that the men's game has to just manage and deal with, you know, 
it, it's it's just there that, that that wasn't a feature in the last few weeks. But um, the quality of England's play for the tournament was was superb. Themselves and Germany were the best two teams and deserved to be in the final. Um, and that they got to win it in Wembley, like one of the one of the. And we're always kind of when we were covering this, we never knew, like how much air time do you give to. The, the bigger picture issues because people who are involved in the women's game like to think on the one hand this is really important but the other hand you just go shut up it's just a match like approach it like any other match it's an event analyse the players and let's move on but there was always this this very near the surface kind of discussion about what's the impact of this going to be or, or the legacy will this change anything and if how what but the scenes last night the, the impact of seeing women not only just play in Wembley, but play at a full house. I think there was a watching audience of, in BBC of 17.4 million at one point. Yeah, incredible. They're on all that's the front a bit, That's back. the biggest audience for anything yeah. in 2022 so, so far. Yeah, so so none of the three of us have had any experiences in our childhood of having the door closed to us or the phone put down from us or a teacher kick us out of their office because we were the wrong sex in terms of you know, sir, miss, can, can we play football? Can we play football on PE? Can we train? Can we have access to that pitch? Um, what, what, you know, what, why is there a school football team but there's none for us? So th- those questions have never come out of any of our mouths. We never have had to deal with the fact that ah, when it comes to football, it just looks like we've got the wrong, we, we, you know, unfortunately we're the wrong sex here because on so many occasions throughout the childhoods of so many of the players involved in this tournament, they had to fight for things which are just there for boys. We've no experience of having to, to, to push for this stuff. So now when you're talking about the, the not only the acceptability of women playing football, but the importance of throwing as many resources and actual structures and foresight and money into developing girls in the way that we give opportunities to develop the talent of boys. I think it's going to be very, very hard for associations or clubs or schools or any kind of local authorities to have a very different approach to development of, of, of talent or just access to facilities or the amount of, 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 of contact hours and coaching that you give to people based on whether they're male or female. So I think last night was... Again, like this, on a, on a on a biggest, most international stage, it's there a moment to go. Sometimes girls had to compete for the facilities that were always just given to boys. Whereas this weekend alone, the main stadium, Wembley, was given to the women, and the lads in the community shield were told, "Sorry, lads, go elsewhere." This is, you know, the the the, the big event is happening here. So, um, I think that's seismic, and I think probably people more than the three of us will realise just how important that is. I had to. I, I had to see what they were saying on the rival broadcaster, Richie. Given that it was the BBC's day, um, it was England's day, so uh, they were they were they were, they were straddling that line as well. They were talking quite a lot actually about uh, how far the game has come, but it wasn't. I was quite interested by the tone, but it wasn't all gushing about how you know this is the result of endless years of of investment and this kind of thing. They were making the point that, in fact, the Arsenal manager made the point that the the English players out in the field there, the the ones have been around a long time, came through in spite of the system rather than because of the system. And Ian Wright's been banging this drum 
kind of all tournament that a lot more needs to be done. There's an interesting moment where Alex Scott was just got really, she made this really interesting point. I thought she said, listen, I'm the days of me going to corporate events and begging sponsors to come on board. Those days are over. I'm not doing that. If you're not on board now, you know, the train's already left the station. So I'm sorry, you, you know, it's almost like you've missed the boat. Uh, and, after which Gabby Logan, the presenter, comes in and says, of course, you know, more sponsors will be looking to get involved and uh, they will be welcomed into football <laughs> just to keep it keep it open uh, and make make it clear to potential sponsors that, of course, uh, this game will welcome investment going forward as well. But it was just an interesting vi- little vignette. There's an interesting look into kind of where and how somebody like Alex Scott, w- w- what she might have gone through over the last number of years, especially as she's uh, the face of the game in a lot of ways uh, and she's and she's been... Uh, you know, brilliant in so many ways that she kind of had that in her head. She's, you could tell she's kind of pissed off. She's had to go through what she's been going through to try to get support of the game. But of course, then almost gently reminded by Gabby Logan that that has to actually keep happening as well. That it has to be, it has to be driven forward, and that more support is necessary in the coming years. Yeah, I think you have to straddle both, don't you? No, you don't have to overly call out or publicly shame people for not investing up until now to the point that it might put them off being involved now. But also remind people that. It is needed, like loads more is needed. And there's lots of conversations about, like we, we had it throughout the tournament off air, sometimes on air about the development or the standing of the game in each of the countries involved. You know, what was the domestic structures like? What was the um, the wage levels or the, the, the attendances at games and how many of the players are playing in their home leagues or abroad? And always didn't really feature ever on air occasionally it did the conversation would come back to well where are we we being the republic of ireland mm. and i just have this off and maybe this is a not the right note to to, to strike here like we're on the brink of reaching a playoff for the world cup there's a game in the september the first if we win it we're in the playoff for the world cup and let's say we get to the world cup finals it's next next summer in australia and new zealand RTE and probably speaking ahead of me, they probably assume will show the whole tournament in the way that they just show the Euros. The FAI or people in Irish football will spend the year patting themselves on the back for all the work they're doing in the women's game and that us qualifying for that tournament or even reaching the playoff or even us being at the point where we're thinking about reaching the playoff. It's it's payback for something or it's a sign of some input or development or some changes that were made. That's all bollocks, right? That's all bollocks. Like if you, you meant the phrase that, oh, and you just mentioned the phrase that, that Alex Scott used it, that these players are where they are in spite of the system. Like that's times a hundred if you're talking about players, female players who are brought up and developed and coached in this country. So I wonder, I wonder now, like go all go back as far as you like, Euro 88, World Cup 90, USA 94. They think of the missed opportunity, the mismanagement by the FAI to harness the increased population or the extra eyes or the like the eagerness of investment or just to, to harness a moment where we go okay can we actually produce something meaningful and actually like capitalize on this what does that mean though richie what does that something meaningful mean what do you want to see the fai do now so so first of all like the, the, it, 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 will there be appointments in the FAI? Will will there be a senior figure at senior management level, like a director of football, a a a, a um, sporting director responsible? Will, will there be an increase in investment? At the moment, like the league is an amateur. Do you think only you league. need a? Do you think you need a spe- a separate, like a, de- a dedicated director of football for or technical director for women's football that that you know it's not just enough to have 
the FAI technical director and basically that they should also they should be responsible for both men's and women's? Well, I would have had a lot of conversations with so the, my fellow pundits would be active players or former players or current coaches um, playing here or abroad. And the, 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 I, it's probably not appropriate that I share the details on air, but, 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 but so much is needed. Like at the moment, what is happening is there's that the best players, as is the case historically with men in this country, are just encouraged to go abroad. There's an acknowledgement that what is here is not enough. If you want to, you know, if you want to be professional, obviously you have to leave the island. If you want to develop to a level that we can get to competitions, you have to go elsewhere at a league that's going to be in some way, in some way indicative of the quality you're going to play for at the international level. And we're so far off that, which is fine. Okay, that, that not fine, but that's just the reality. But in the coming years, this is my point. Let, let's look. For, is there going to be a meaningful jump in investment? Will there be a meaningful shift in policies? Will there be any appointments made? Will there be appointments made by people either representing the women's game or people who have like, huge experience in the women's game at positions of, of, of real influence and real decision-making in the FAI? Because we, we, know, we, we have no track record in this country at all of developing the elite game or even demonstrating an understanding of what elite football can and should look like. So... We've been talking about this conversation. This is this is this is decades old. This conversation and why is Irish domestic football at the state that it's in, given the interest in the sport and the numbers and the invest blah blah blah. Let's see, can we do now more for the females? Because let's not just lazily measure the health of Irish football based on the performance of the senior team, like we've done with the men's team in the past. If Vera Pau's team get to the playoff or even better get to the finals of the World Cup, that's great. But that's down to them. We need to do a hell of a lot more at a hell of a lot more levels to improve the game for females in this country. Richie, a sobering note maybe to, to end things. Sobering but somewhat hopeful if those things can start getting done. We'll see. Listen, great stuff. I hope you, hope you enjoyed yourself over the tournament. Thanks a million, Rich. I loved it. Cheers, lads. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. One person lifting a small nation, it's just, it's just amazing. It, like, this is the stuff that dreams are made of, like. I'm losing will. So we all grew up together, so all my life I know where it's just the best. My hands are soft as cotton gloves. Yeah, I'm a boxer and I've been boxing for about two years now. Machine has eaten up my job. 
and when Kelly does win this box, it's going to go very up for girls. My meaning, my call. I used to always see Kelly trying to do stuff for other people. I shovel coal down Spencer's dog. And I think she's an inspiration to a lot of people. I talk dear into it love. It means a lot, because if I train hard, I can do anything. You did a bear as a beautiful do you think that you could be in an Olympic final someday? River up the machine down on the docks. Yeah, well, I'm hoping one day I could. River up the machine until it stops. Kelly Harrington, Beatrice Ferreira. Here we go. Oh, Lord, me, show me go. Two decent ones for Ferreira again. <laughs> Harrington, keep it going. The shades from Zora John. Can she continue what she's doing? Goes to the body again. Lovely right hook to the side of the head. Beautiful shot. <laughs> what a fight this is. Beautiful left. Right hook dance. Left hook dance from Harrington. Uppercut from Ferreira. Ferreira has to go for it. She's still dancing in there. She's still moving in there. Ten seconds. Surely Harrington has done enough in the lightweight final. Bang. There's the bell. What a performance. With gold enough to win back time. Olympic champion Kelly Harrington Goal for the darling of Dublin Michael Carruth, Katie Taylor And now Kelly Harrington Olympic champion there was a story I was just looking for during Richie's final point, which I have belatedly found. Now, it's from the Irish Times last week, Gavin Comiskey reporting that the FAI's chairman, president and chief executive spent most of the centenary AGM apologising and promising to find a way to avoid a 50% cut in government funding. The December 2023 deadline to establish 40% female representation among the 12-strong board of directors is looming. At present, the board includes just two women, Liz Joyce and Catherine Guy. So in other words, they need five, they need three more women on the board here um, based on the, the terms of the government funding. If it was the right thing to do for the organisation, I would be more than happy to step down as chairperson if there was a female chairperson, said Roy Barrett. I think every board member should have that attitude. If we make a decision collectively and we want to do something, it is not about the personalities of the individuals. It is about the collective good. That's how I'm approaching it. And that is how I would hope and expect the rest of the board to look at it. So... Yeah, that's just at the very top. That's at board level as well as some of the other stuff that Richie was talking about there. So we'll we'll watch what happens with that one over the next little while. Next up in the football world, it is the new Premier League season beginning on Friday night with Crystal Palace against Arsenal. And before you ask, Murph, no, it is not live on Premier Sports. We'll <laughs> doing it. No, we need to. We, there, there is a new Crystal Palace out there. Uh, it felt like it was Leeds at one stage last season on. Well, funny enough, um, we'll be doing... There was a lot of Leeds, wasn't there, last season on Premier Sports? We'll be doing Leeds Wolves this Saturday, Murph. So maybe you're onto ah, something. there you maybe go. Maybe Leeds are the new there palace, you, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone would be would get on board with that. You know? <laughs> All right, we'll be talking about the Premier League during the week. Four World Service members only, of course. Thanks, Ken. Thank you, Owen. Thanks, Murph. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. Thanks for listening. The Second Captains podcast is part of the ACAST Creator Network. You'll hear all episodes ad-free if you become a World Service member on secondcaptains.com. What is that? It's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home, those, those, those boys. It is not war and death and famine. It's not that at all. 
it's the opposite of that it's to persuade us of the world outside of that that's why sports important a lot can happen in the next three years like a chatbot maybe your new best friend but what won't change needing health insurance United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.